Have you got an idea for your own podcast just like this one? Well, join us at Anchor because Anchor is the easiest way to make your very own podcast. It gives you all the tools that you need in one place for free. You can record right from your phone, tablet, or computer. And with the creation tools Anchor gives you, it allows you to record and edit your podcast so it sounds top of the line. And they'll even do the distribution for you so it can be heard on outlets such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many more. And then you can make money from your own podcast with no minimum listenership required. So what are you waiting for? As soon as you're done listening to this show, download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Do it today. Hello wrestling fans and welcome to another edition of Live from the Dean's Den. I'm your host, the Dean of Wrestling Referee, Steve Kane. This week's episode is going to be part one of a two-part episode that uh, comes from our other show, um, Tuesday Night Turmoil on Blog Talk Radio. This is an interview that uh, we just had with the 1990s WWE star Duke the Dumpster Drozzy. This is a very, very fun uh, time. A lot of uh, great stories, a lot of interesting facts. Uh, The uh, way that uh, he managed to get himself a job with uh, the then WWF was amazing in and of itself. So um, we'll warn you that uh, some of the language is a little more adult in nature. So if you're uh, younger or more sensitive uh, listeners are out there, uh, you might want to uh, go ahead and uh, just uh, pass up this week and uh, next. But uh, in uh, two weeks, uh, we'll uh, get back to more uh, normal uh, news and reviews. But for the time being, we hope that you will enjoy this segment of Duke the Dumpster Drozzy right here on Live from the Dean's Den. I'm not going to make him wait any longer. I put him on air with us. Duke the Dumpster Drosy is here. Hey, hey, how are you? Thank you. Hi, sweetheart. I, pre- I appreciate you having me on the show. Thank you. And Chaotic hey. Katie, I must say, let me tell you, my darling, <laughs> I have to agree with everything that you said. Um, I, I knew Bull Nakano. I feel like she's okay. one of the greatest female workers the she wrestling are. industry has ever seen. She she worked mm-hmm. up in the World Wrestling Federation when I was there in the mid-90s, as a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. She had some epic battles with Alundra Blaze, of oh, course, yeah. Medusa, back in those okay. days. But on another note, let me just say this. You brought up a name, okay. Max. Now, she goes on social media, she goes by Max the Impaler, but I'm going to tell you something. I know Max very well. We speak often, and uh, we've talked often about the wrestling business. Mm -hmm. I've been talking to her ever since she was still in the training camp. I I am one of the biggest Max Marks out there. I'm just going to tell you right now, I've got all her T-shirts. I love me some Max the Impaler. So, yes, I, I was... Listening to every word you said, that was awesome. I love her. I love her. You don't even know, man. That was the first time I've seen her. She's going to be a star. She's going to be a star in the wrestling business. There's Mm -hmm. no doubt. 
Yeah, she was mm. thinking, oh, my God. She just threw that girl around. And ne- never mind, never mind the rag doll, okay? Empty rag doll with no sawdust, no nothing in her, okay? Just, it, it was, I was in awe. I just went, wow. But, um, She's most- a power lifter. She can, she can deadlift, like, 350 pounds or more. <laughs> I bet. She's very <laughs> strong, yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. Sweetheart. Right, sweetheart. Wow. Oh so, yeah, God. I just wanted to say, I wanted to open up with that because I was very interested in the story you were telling. Yeah, it's okay. Well, he'll let me tell more of it as the night goes on. I know he will. But Bull Nacano, she's a sweetheart. She really is. Yeah. She's an absolute sweetheart. She went in as yeah. a And, again, I think she, yeah. Yeah. Go, Go ahead, ahead, honey. No, no. She, she, like, like I was saying, I think she is probably one of the greatest workers in the history of the wrestling business. And. Mm. She was she, when she was in the World Wrestling Federation. She was all business. I mean, she wasn't a partier. She wasn't crazy or anything like that. Uh, she kind of kept her distance from the boys a lot, but uh, she she was she was very professional. She was all business. She handled her business, and she was uh, excellent Quiet. in that ring. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. Oh yeah. The the matches that her and Medusa had. Oh, those those were some those were some absolute classics. Um, in fact, of course, one of them uh, here in Chicago um, at SummerSlam, which was, of course, the opening event for uh, the United Center right after it had oh, yeah. uh, gotten completed. So, yes, I remember nice. that. Yeah, great wow. stuff. Great stuff. Bull Nakano used so, to do this leg drop off the top rope that was amazing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yo, and, and of course she was she was I mean she was a she was a much bigger girl at the time than uh she yeah. is now itty from bitty the now. She's that itty she's bitty. got. Yeah. Yeah. And she's but, she's little she she was wearing platform boots, okay? If she would have taken those platform boots off, she would have only been a little bit taller than me. Same as Jordan Grist. They're all not as tall as you think you think, think, you, think as you would think they right. would be. Like Shotzi, Shotzi Blackheart. Oh, what a sweet girl. I want her helmet. <laughs> but I love her. She's amazing. Yeah. I spent a lot of time talking to her. I really did. She was just really nice. But Rosemary's a doll. Mephisto's a doll. Mercedes was, was really nice, too. Watching Mercedes double fish hook Jordan Grace in the middle of the ring while, while she's got her in, in the in the camel clutch, old school style. Oh my god! Oh my god! Mm. I'm telling you, and that's the thing you're seeing a lot more of. With, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with the female wrestlers more and more these days, the wrestling ability is, you know, mm-hmm. they've come a long way. In my opinion, they've come a long way from the diva days. Um, you yeah. watch, especially on the independent scene, and even up all, all the way through WWE and other big companies, the wrestling styles that the females bring to the wrestling game has gotten really uh, incredible, actually. And uh, it is very impressive to see a lot of these uh, girls coming up through the business and the things that they're doing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, but Canadian girls, let me tell you, our Canadian girls are something else. They really are. They're just something else. And and like you said, the women are being allowed and being given license nowadays to do more than they were ever. Like there's there's no more bikini matches, there's no more lingerie matches, there's no more pillow fights, and that was degrading. And, and I'll be honest, I hated it. Okay, I may okay, I may have an appreciation for women, and I may have loved a few women, but watching that was worse than going to the strip club. 
you know yeah, what I mean? the old uh, Vince Russo booking days, of course. Yeah. yeah. Awful. <laughs> it was it was yeah. terrible. Gee, it all it up. Yep, that's it. It boils down again to Vince Russo. I tell uh, you, don't let him do anything. <laughs> it always comes back to Vince Russo. It's like six degrees of Kevin Bacon, but with Vince Russo. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah. So Mike, why don't you go ahead and kinda of tell us about your about your background? Well, uh where you grew up, what type of sports you watched and participated in, you know, before you suddenly discovered this wacky world that uh, we both inhabited called professional wrestling. Yeah, I came up and I grew up in Miami, Florida. I mean, I was born in California, but I grew up the the majority of my life. I, I grew up in Miami, Florida, and I came up playing some football and I was an amateur wrestler. Uh, but during those years, I always watched professional wrestling. And in those days, the main wrestling available down there was championship wrestling from Florida with Gordon Soley as the announcer yeah. and, you know, Dusty Rhodes, Kevin Sullivan, oh. uh, you know, people like that. And that's what Mike I grew Graham. up. Well, Mike Graham, exactly. And that's what I grew up wow. watching. And when uh, uh, basically what happened when I was still in high school, the first WrestleMania uh, was presented and you had to go to an arena and watch it on closed circuit television because there was no pay-per-view yeah. in those days. Right. And it was WrestleMania one that made me want to become a professional wrestler. Um, oh. That's when I realized, and I started training right out of high school to become a professional wrestler. So probably when I was about 17, but yeah, that's okay. how I started out. Nice. Okay. So now, um, now, now, now tell now tell me a little bit about uh, about the school that uh, that you trained at and that because uh, um, you know you were you were trained you were trained by a guy by the name of Bobby Wales. So yes, um, I was so, trained. It was in, right near Miami, Florida, called Opelika, Florida. And the funny thing okay. about it is, I didn't know anything about where there. I knew I wanted to be a wrestler, a professional wrestler, but I didn't know where there was any wrestling schools. But interestingly. While I was still an amateur wrestler in high school, as a fundraiser, our wrestling coach brought in the wrestlers from Championship Wrestling from Florida to do a show in our gym as a fundraiser. So I got to meet Lex Luger, Barry Windham, Dusty Ooh. Rhodes. They all came, and they were in our gym doing a show. So basically the wrestlers on the wrestling team got to work security, while walking them to and from the ring. Well, my dad, who was also there, uh, he started asking around about schools. And there was a guy wrestling in championship wrestling from Florida at the time by the name of Tyree Pride, the Haitian sensation Tyree oh, Pride. Oh, yes. And, yes. And he was actually Bobby Ooh. Wales' tag partner at that time. And we found out he told us about the school that Bobby Wales was running in Opelika. So I immediately went up, and it was just a ring in a dirty little warehouse. That's all it was. There wasn't much there. Um, and there was probably four other guys that were being trained. And one of the guys that was being trained at my school was Norman Smiley. So, And they called him Black oh, Magic wow. in those days. 
But yeah, it was me, Norman Smiley, this big muscle-bound dude named Joe, and a couple other guys. And you know, there wasn't many people, but Bobby was a really good teacher. And uh, probably about after six months of training with him, I was able to wrestle in my first show, and it was actually for (laughs) the AWA after the Savoldis kind of bought it out and it became AWA ICW. And they still okay. had a lot of the AWA. They still had a lot of the AWA wrestlers, like Nick Bockwinkle and Larry Zabisco and Boris Zukov. And uh, oh wow! My my first match was in the Davie, Florida Rodeo Arena. <laughs> I was clueless, <laughs> and I wrestled a guy. Uh, his name was Teddy, and Teddy Daniels, I think, is what his name was. But his wrestling name, I think, might have been Johnny Blaze. It was so long ago, but uh, I was clueless, and it's funny because I just, the one thing I remember about it was me and this guy, Teddy, were talking over the match out behind the locker room, and Nick Bockwinkle Mm -hmm. came out, and he said, are you guys wrestling each other? And we were like, yes, sir, we are. And he goes, well, why don't you go in the locker room and talk over your match? There's fans sitting right over there watching you, and he just basically dressed us down and yelled at us in front of everybody. So that was my first wrestling experience, uh, you know, about kayfabe, my first experience learning about kayfabe and and all that good stuff. But, yeah, that was my – that's how I came uh, up through the school, and that's where my first wrestling match actually was with the AWA after it had been bought out. Wow. 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 Yeah. I was was lucky because um, my trainer was uh, Sam Vicero, Windy City Wrestling in Chicago. And he also, right. uh, he did some, he did, he did some, I mean, he worked, he worked for uh bruiser in Indianapolis. He also did some uh, job work for, uh, for Vern for TV and that. And so um, one of my, one of my first, uh, our big show every year was called battle of the belts. And my first one, when I was, you know, before I actually started training, I was doing ringside photography and that. I kind of got, I kind of came up the coronet way. Um, we had Nick Bockwinkle on it and Angelo Poffo and Lanny. And so right. I got to, so I got to, I got to, I got to pick Nick Bockwinkle's brain for the better part of a day. And I, I treasure that because I mean, the stuff that that man could teach you just by talking to you for exactly. 20 minutes. 30 minutes now was probably more than a lot of uh, teachers could actually teach you doing ring work and that. Oh, well, yeah. And if you think about it, that's where a lot of the stuff is learned in the wrestling business. If you ever heard, have you ever heard Stone Cold Steve Austin talk about the car rides he used to take when he was working in Memphis, Tennessee, and he would just sit back and listen to the other guys in the car talk about the business. That's where a lot of stuff is learned, just by listening to the older guys, the veterans, talk about the business and talk about ring psychology. And that's how you learn a lot of things in the business. That's how it used to be, at least. Right. Right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm, I, I, so I've, been, I've been very fortunate with the guys that I've gotten to be friends with over the years and that um, – you know, I've done. Oh man, well, my bet probably my best night car ride in a blizzard 
in the in the front seat next to me is my longtime friend and I miss him, King Kong Bundy. Mm. Oh yeah. In the back seat, the barbarian. Oh, Barbie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean and so just you know, so you know, so I'm you know, so I'm I'm having to try and you know, having to contact the hotel trying to get my get directions. It's a it's a blizzard and that and it's and this is back in the days of those old Remember those old big gray cell phones that uh, we used to have the yeah, Motorola the with the LED numbers and that? The, yep. Uh, the bricks. Yeah, the huge bricks with the antenna. Yeah, yeah. the bricks. So, <laughs> I'm, so I'm talking with them on but that at the one. same time. One. At the same time, Bundy and, and uh, Barbie were sitting back swapping stories and stuff. Man, that was like that was like probably one of the best experiences. I've had as a you know as a as a referee worker, you know in in my entire career. It's just it's it's one of those things that yeah, like you say, it's the you know the car rides where where you really get uh, the know how and that. I, and Bundy yeah. was just a funny son of a bitch overall. Anyway, he was funny <laughs> as hell. Oh God, yes. <laughs> oh my God. I mean, he he could he could crack he could crack you up, you know, with with the with a one liner, you know, quicker than quicker than you knew what hit you, and that he spoke fluent sarcasm. That's for sure. Indeed, he did. Indeed, he did. You know, oh man, it was so funny because um, one of the um, one of the first shows I worked with him. It was him, Coco Beware, and uh, Chris Chavis Tatanka, and we're and we're downstairs in the basement of the, of the grandstand of the racetrack. The three the three of us talking over, and Bundy saying to Coco, "You're going over tonight. I owe you." And Coco's like, "No, no, you're going over tonight. <laughs> going back and forth." And it was it was hilarious. Finally, you know, Coco says, "Yeah, okay, okay, fine. You you, you know, I'll I'll go over." And then and then after then after Bundy gets up and leaves, he goes he goes and gets in my ear. He says, "No, no, that's not how it's going to happen. I'm I'm putting him over." And that it was it was it was hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gotta love that. Gotta love that stuff. So okay, so okay. you so you were. So you were working on the on the uh, scene down scene down there in Florida and that. How did you first get the attention of Vince McMahon or whatever WWF scout saw you and said, "All right, we got to sign this guy." What I had done is I, after I initially started in the business down there in Florida and did some tours in the Caribbean and stuff with some independents, um, at the same time I was going to college at the University of Miami. And uh, so I was going to college full-time and wrestling part-time. And the plan was once I graduated college, I was going to get in my car and drive across the country and go to each of these territories that still existed and get a job. And, uh, so what I did is I put together a bunch of promotional packages with, you know, back then it was VHS tapes 
and a resume right. and pictures, and uh, I made a bunch of these. I mean, I, I must have had 30 of them made. And um, right after I graduated from college, I was still working. I was working at this, like, beach club on Key Biscayne where rich people – you know, that own houses, they could come out and lay on the beach on a private, a private beach. And, uh, so yeah. I was working there at like a night watchman. Anyway, I was getting ready to quit that job because like I said, I was going to get in the car and drive across the country and hand these promo packages to promoters. And I was reading the paper on one of my last days at that job. And it said there was a television executive convention in the Miami Beach Convention Center at that time. It's called the Natfi Convention. And uh, mm-hmm. it was during the beginning of, it was during the steroid scandal. And Hulk Hogan had just joined WCW. And wow. the people in the paper, in the newspaper article, had interviewed Hulk Hogan about what he was doing and the scandal and all that. Mm-hmm. And the last sentence on the article said, Vince McMahon, who was also in attendance, had no comment. And I realized at that moment, obviously, that Vince McMahon was in the Miami Beach Convention Center for that convention. And it was there all week. So I found out that one of the rich people from the beach club was actually a TV executive from Channel 2 in Miami. And he had credentials to get into this convention because you had to have credentials. So I put on a suit. I took his credentials. And I crashed the convention. And I walked in. And I walked <laughs> right up to Vince McMahon, and I introduced myself. I handed him a promotional package. I told him I wanted to work for him, and he asked me a couple questions, and then I got the hell out of there. And they called – J.J. Dillon called me a week later. That's how oh I got Oh, my God. Wow. Holy cow. And oh, nobody yeah. ever, oh. no, nobody could ever walk up to Vince after that. They put in safeguards oh. to protect against it because before me it was uh, Oscar from Men on a Mission. He rapped to yeah. Vince in an elevator somewhere in New York, and then me, I just walked right up to him and told him I wanted a job. So, but after that, they started kind of making sure people couldn't just walk right up to Vince. So, <laughs> yeah, that's how I got my job, man. Oh wow. my gosh! Wow, that's. Wow. That's wild, isn't it, Katie? Holy cow! Then it's more than wild. <laughs> oh man! Oh, I figured I had so, to do something because I didn't. I didn't have a brother or an uncle that worked in the business, and uh-huh. I had to get in somehow. Exactly. And like I said, I was I was getting ready to drive across the country and hand out my promotional packages. Well, I handed out two. I handed one to George the Animal Steel at a house show, and then, like I said, I found out Vince was in town like a couple weeks later, and the second one I handed to Vince McMahon, and that was it. Oh, my gosh. That's bad. That is just that is just too cool. That is and I still have that promotional that tape. I still have that <laughs> promo tape, and it's on my social media. People, uh, I posted it on my Facebook page so people could watch it. Yeah. Also, also, look that up, Mike. That 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 sounds that sounds really cool. So, oh, holy cow, that's that's wild. That's wild. So, um, so then, so then, um, the so then the the character itself, because now I know for a while that uh, some of the some of the uh, characters that Vince was putting in were offshoots of uh, what some of these guys actually had done in real life. Um, I guess, I guess at one point uh, uh, Tony Anthony 
had been a plumber, and so the you know former dirty white boy became T.L. Hopper in that. But uh, you had done you had done uh, apparently at at some at some point you had done a gimmick called Garbage Man. Now, um, so how so how did this all you know translate turning oh. Mike Drozzi and um, Garbage Man into Duke the Dumpster Drozzi. Well, I I knew at that point, you know, when I was still kind of wrestling part-time in Florida and finishing college, you know, Mm -hmm. I was watching the World Wrestling Federation. I was watching the product, and I could see the characters they were putting on TV and what Vince was basically trying to sell – and down in Florida, I had come up with the character, the Garbage Man Rocco Gibraltar. And that was my name in Florida, the Garbage Man Rocco Gibraltar. And I wrestled for months and months, maybe even like a year, I wrestled. And that whole time, I was wearing the same exact gimmick that Duke the Dumpster wore. And I taped everything I did so that I could eventually put together that promo tape. Um, okay. But yeah, then it was like a natural. That, that's one of the things I think Vince, one of the reasons Vince McMahon jumped on it because it was one of those cartoonish characters that was like a blue collar worker that the people could get behind. And it just kind of fell right into the scheme of things, the way they were doing it in the World Wrestling Federation at that time. So he mm-hmm. jumped on it. And when they brought me in, funny thing. Uh, I went around town taping my, what they called vignettes. You know, this is Duke right. Dumpster. I'm coming soon to the World Wrestling Federation. And I taped a lot of them off the back of a garbage truck or at the dump in Stamford, Connecticut. And the interesting thing about that is the person who produced my vignettes, who I rode around in his Corvette with that morning at 6 a.m. in the freezing cold, was Shane McMahon. Shane McMahon oh produced, he was... He was like 23 years old at the time. He was working his way around all the different parts of the company, you know, getting to Uh know how to do everything. And at that point, he was working in the studio. So he produced all my vignettes and stuff. A lot of that stuff you saw, he came up with. And when I sat down with him at the office and we were talking about it, he said they had come up with a new name for me because obviously for licensing purposes and you know intellectual property they want to be able to own that part of the character so they named right. me Duke the Dumpster Drosy and Drosy's my real last name for the right. for the sake of alliteration it, it became Duke the Dumpster Drosy and that Shane McMahon was the told me the one that told me that was my new name and the gimmick basically stayed the same Mhm. Wow. Wow. So now, okay. So now that leads that leads me to another question because um, uh, I I've known I've known uh, I've known Dustin Rhodes for uh, several years, and he talked about um, when they did the Gold Dust vignettes, especially the ones at the Oscars, because at that time, um, of course, you know. Nobody, nobody really knew who Vince McMahon and the WWF were, and that. So they kind of had to sneak in, uh, 
with the security guards not looking so they could do all the red carpet stuff and that. Did you guys have to sneak on to the onto the trucks and into the dump to uh get uh to get your segments filmed? Actually what we did it was interesting because I, I, I don't know, I guess Shane set it up because we went out on the streets of Stanford, Connecticut and just caught a garbage truck that was right in the middle of its regular uh route. And every so often it would stop and I'd jump up on the back and we would pull it forward or pull it back and I'd jump off and I'd cut my promo and then we'd let them go do a couple more blocks and we'd meet them two or three blocks over and we'd do another promo and that's how we did that. And then, of course, we went to the dump and I just climbed up in this huge heap of trash and and cut promos up there. But that's how we did it. I mean, I'm pretty sure Shane set it up. We didn't just show up on the street one day and ask these guys to let us use the truck. They were more than willing. Uh, so I'm pretty sure it was set up, but that's how we did it. <laughs> that's interesting. Wow. That's very that interesting. Is. That is. Um, you, you, you miss how you miss Sean, how he, how he got it, how he got himself uh, signed here. Um, so, but I go ahead, go ahead if you don't mind relay that one real, real quick again, so that Sean can kind of get uh, caught up on that because well, just I, that's there. that's that yeah that that story that story right there is so cool in and of itself. Sorry. When I was when I was uh, trying to break into the business, uh, I was wor- I was finishing college and. I knew I didn't have any friends or relatives in the business, so I had to find a creative way to get in the front door. And what I had done is there was actually a television executive convention in Miami Beach at the convention center, and um, a friend uh, from where I worked who was a member at this, this beach club I was working at was a TV executive, and he had credentials, and he let me borrow them so I could just – walk right into the convention and I walked right in wearing a suit with a little briefcase, walked right up to Vince McMahon and introduced myself, shook his hand. He saw the credentials. I think he thought I was an executive at first, so he was really happy to talk to me. And then he realized, okay, I was a wrestler and I was pitching him, but he was still <laughs> real nice to me. And I pitched him for about 30 or 45 seconds, told him who I was. I wanted to work for him and asked him, to take my promotional package, which he was happy to take. And um, he asked me a couple of questions and that was it. I got the hell out of there. And the funny thing about it is also when I was leaving uh, right across the walkway was the booth for WCW. I didn't stop at WCW. I just kept walking because I had a feeling he was probably going to watch to see if I went to WCW to what? pitch them, and I didn't. I just kept going, and I walked out the door. And anyway, they, Vince had J.J. Uh, uh, Dillon. About a week later, J.J. Dillon called me to bring me up for a tryout because J.J. was the head of talent relations at that time. So, yeah, that's right. kind of how I got my foot in the door. Now, uh, <laughs> you, started, you started in uh, 94, and one of your first feuds you would have with a guy that's uh, pretty famous around the Memphis, Tennessee area, Guy by the name of Jerry the King Lawler. Yeah, I just remember I was I had just come in and uh, I didn't really know how things worked, and I was riding in a rental car at that TV taping with Adam Baum and Bob Holly, 
And I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what was going to happen. And we just kind of walked in and got ready for TV. And they kind of explained to me what was going on at the last second. And it was that deal where I walked out for my first match, my first TV match against a guy named Mike Bell. And as I was walking out, Jerry the King Lawler was standing off to the side with a microphone like he wanted to interview me. And as I passed by, I stopped to talk to Jerry the King Lawler. He said, hold on, hold on. And he turned around and he got a clothespin and stuck it on his nose because I stunk too bad for him to interview me. So he insulted me by putting a clothespin (laughs) on his nose. So I took my garbage can full of garbage and I dumped it over his head. And (laughs) that's what started the feud. And then a couple, I think probably a week later, they had on Live Raw, they did a King's Court and Jerry the King Lawler brought me out as his guest and he would not let me get in the ring and he would not let me talk. And I finally got fed up with him and uh, I told him I didn't want to talk to a stinking piece of trash like him anyway. And I turned to walk away and on live television, he ran up behind me and attacked me and hit me with my own garbage can. Now, the funny thing about that was me and Lawler beforehand talked about it, and he he kind of brought it up. He goes, you know, we could kind of fire this up a little bit if, if I hit you with the can or something when I attack you. And I said, that's fine with me. I'll do it. So we basically went and just asked Jack Lanza, who was the agent for that segment, and uh-huh. Jack Lanza just kind of Jack Lanza just kind of looked at me and he goes, "To hell with it! It's live TV. Just go ahead and do it." So we went out there and we did it. And uh, I just remember when I got back to the to the lock to the back gorilla position, everybody was freaking out. Uh, Shane McMahon ran up. He goes, "What the hell happened?" And uh, the agents were all scurrying around and people were like pissed off and. Uh, apparently it was deemed too violent for WWF television at that uh, time. That's what I'm reading here. It was one of the first instances of hardcore wrestling on WWF Monday Night Raw. Mm -hmm. And it was so hardcore, in fact, that they immediately, at that time, Gorilla Monsoon and Macho Man Randy Savage were doing the commentary for Raw at that time. And they came right out on live TV right after that segment. They came on, and and Gorilla Monsoon just apologized up and down. He's like, we are so sorry that that happened. You will never see something that violent happen on the WWF again. Once again, we apologize. And they apologized up and down. And uh, that wasn't bad enough. The next week, they had Jerry the King Lawler come out on Superstars uh, on a pre-taped interview where he was made to apologize to me for attacking oh, wow. me. And I, and I was like, you just totally killed all the heat. It was, <laughs> right. they, they threw a bucket of ice water on it. It was dead. And from that point on, it just went downhill. And what should have been a really hot match for a, for a pay-per-view ended mm-hmm. up, we did the blow-off on like a Monday Night Raw where I had Dink the Clown in the garbage can and Doink and Dink were outside the ring and they, they – basically got into it and interfered and they they got in a fight with Jerry the King Lawler and he went off on a feud with them after that and that was the end of Duke the Dumpster versus Jerry the King Lawler. Um 
Now, you're, wow. you're wrestling in about 1994, 1995, and this is right around the time that this very controversial man by the name of James E. Cornette started with the company. Uh, talk to us about uh, Corny and your interactions Corny with Cornette. Yeah, I always liked Jim Cornette, and uh, I just I love listening to his podcast now. I'll tell you that. Um, but Cornette was, you could tell he he loved old school, the old school mentality. And there was a lot of things. The wrestling business during those years was changing, and, and you could see a lot in a lot of ways. It bothered Jim Cornette. He didn't like some of the ways that they did things up there in the World Wrestling Federation. Um, it was just different philosophies. Um, but but Jim was always very professional. Cornette was wo- always very professional. Um, you know, he always protected his guys. I remember I wrestled Vader on a, a Monday Night Raw match, and we were trying to put together the match. And, you know, Vader, d- Jim Cornette basically didn't want me to body slam Vader. And I was like, what the hell are you talking about? Of course I could slam Vader. Well, you know, they wanted him to stay real strong. And, uh, right. So, yeah, they didn't want me to slam him. I always found that very interesting. But, you know, Cornette was just protecting the guy that he was a manager for because that kept his position strong. If he keeps his wrestler strong, that keeps his position as a manager strong. So that makes sense. But, yeah, that was mm-hmm. – but but uh, I always respected Cornette, and, and I still, like I said, I love listening to him now, man. And he goes off. Oh, yeah. Whether I agree oh, with I him or I don't agree today. with him, it's it's always entertaining. It is. And, and I tell you <laughs> what, that man, uh, we had him on this show a couple oh, of years ago. We did a roast of his friend Kenny Bolin. And uh, I don't think I've ever I don't think I've ever had so many f bombs in one program between him and Kenny <laughs> Bolin. It was probably the f word was probably dropped yeah. a thousand times. I mean, I thought I said the f word a lot. Just say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, Duke, uh, just because the question has arose from our fans, what uh, what made you never pursue going to WCW after your time in WWF? I actually did, and and not many people know this, but there is a a dark match floating out around there on in the internet world somewhere. Matter of fact, I, I have a copy of it on my Facebook page. Somebody found. See, I told a story about this, and somebody actually found the match. I wrestled in a dark match, and I was wearing a singlet, and it was a tryout. But the thing about WCW was, after I left the World Wrestling Federation, I had like eight months left on my contract, and uh, I just waited it out. And when it was done, I I did kind of the same thing I did with Vince McMahon. Uh, I was living up in Orlando at that time, and WCW was doing a Nitro in Tampa, and I put on a suit, and I walked my happy ass right in the back door <laughs> into the locker room. Like I was wrestling on that show, and nobody nobody questioned me. I mean, I just walked right in. And it's funny. I've told this story before. It's interesting. The psychology of the backstage area, this was the perfect example. Because when I walked in wearing that suit, it was amazing. All the wrestlers that came up to me and shook my hand and were so happy to see me and were so fucking polite to me. And then, like, two days later, I came back because J.J. asked me to come back. I went back to a show that I think it was like Saturday night or Thunder they were doing in like Lakeland, Florida. And I showed up and by that point, 
everybody realized that nobody had brought me in. I just showed up on my own. And it, it was amazing how the demeanor of a lot of the guys changed. And they weren't so nice to me all of a sudden. And, they, you know, they weren't running up, shaking my hand. Um, so I always found that to be interesting. Um, but, yeah, I just walked in and crashed the damn nitro, just like I did the convention with Vince. And um, I talked to JJ. And they eventually brought me in for a tryout. And it was it was freaking horrible. Um, I wrestled this guy that. Apparently was really green, and he screwed up a spot, and I immediately started pounding on him and kicking him. And after that point, Arn Anderson called me Crowbar, and I realized I probably didn't have a good showing in that tryout match. So I never got hired there, and then I just kind of went off into oblivion. But, yeah, I actually had a tryout with WCW, very short-lived. Uh, yeah, I wrestled one match on a dark match at a Nitro, yes. Um, were you ever contacted... Oh. And that was part one of our two-part interview with Duke the Dumpster Drozzy. Uh, next week, we will play part two of that interview for you. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed it. If you have, make sure that uh, you leave a comment for us. Uh, either uh, do a recorded comment, or you can drop me an email at thedeansden at protonmail.com. That's the Dean's Den at ProtonMail.com. And uh, don't forget, yes, um, we do get uh, the airways for free, but there are other costs involved with this, such as uh, Internet access, um, electricity, other costs that are associated with uh, doing a program such as this. So your donations uh, definitely do help. There is a uh, link on the page that uh, you can go ahead and uh, submit your donations. Anything that is uh, donated will be used towards the offsetting of the costs of putting on this program. So uh, once again, thank you for listening. Uh, we'll uh, hope to have you back with us uh, next week. I am the Dean of Wrestling Referees, Steve Kane. Thank you very much and goodbye for now.